All right, well, grab your Bibles, if you will. Uh, we are in a series called True and Better. If you didn't pick up on that, what we're learning along the way is that all of Scripture is pointing us to Christ. All of Scripture is pointing us to Christ. So if you have your Bibles, find your place in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 5. Man, uh, I love worshiping with you guys. Um, love worshiping with you. Real people with just a, a, a genuine spirit to honor Christ together. And now... Uh, as we come to um, the time of opening God's word and the preaching of the word of God, there's always a sense of expectation uh, as if you truly believe that when we read the, the Lord's word that God wants to speak to us. You guys believe that? Man, I do. I, I believe that his word is living and active. And as we open the scriptures, our God is ready to, to meet with us. So um, let me just ask you, are you excited to dig into the word today? Good deal, man. I love that. Second Kings chapter five. Last time we met, we talked about the prophet Elijah. We met Elijah in first Kings 17, 18, 19. A lot of his story is there. And Elijah was a great prophet for the Lord. He was a voice in the wilderness calling out to the people of God to repent, to turn from idols, turn back to the one true God. And uh, he led a showdown at Mount Carmel, if you remember. In 1 Kings 18, he challenged the prophets of Baal to a sort of a, a spiritual showdown on, on the mountain uh, to see whose God is the one true God. The, the God of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or uh, the God Baal. And uh, although the prophets of Baal cried out and prayed and danced and cut themselves and sang and did all the things all day long, their God was silent We found that he was impotent, unable to do anything. And we know that that's true of any idol that we might come up with. Whatever we hope and ask it to do, it cannot do. Only God is able. But the Lord God of heaven, when Elijah prayed, the Lord God of heaven rained down fire and consumed the sacrifice and consumed the water. That waterlogged sacrifice was consumed by our holy God. The the contrast couldn't be more clear. An impotent, unable, silent, false God versus the powerful, speaking, moving, consuming true God. So that was the prophet Elijah, but Elijah would soon take on an intern uh, uh, and he would become a mentor for uh, a man named Elisha. Now, Elijah and Elisha, you might get a little confused, but if you do, just remember J comes before S in the alphabet. So Elijah came first. Elisha was second. That's how I remember it anyway. Uh, When Elijah's ministry was concluding, Elisha asked him for a double blessing. He wanted a double blessing of his spirit, of his power. And Elijah said to him, well, if you see me leave, if you see me go, you'll receive it. And it was amazing. They were at the Jordan River and all of a sudden uh, Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire. He's one of only two people in the Bible that didn't die as we know death. Elijah was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire. And as he went, his cloak uh, fell and Elisha picked up his cloak and put it on. It was sort of this passing of the torch moment. Just nothing like it in Scripture. This is an incredible moment where um, the, the, the ministry that Elijah carried as a prophet was given to Elisha at the Jordan River. And Elisha's ministry began with a bang like that. Like 
Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. One day I may hand things off to Tucker. I don't think it'll go that way. <laughs> but uh, Elisha's ministry began that way and it didn't slow down. Uh, it is true that Elijah had a powerful ministry as a prophet, working miracles, doing amazing things for God, preaching for the Lord. But Elisha's ministry was, was greater. There were so many more miracles from Elisha. Well, here's what we're seeing in the text today is that Elisha actually points us to Christ. Uh, Elisha is a prophet of God, but he points us to the ultimate prophet of God, Jesus Christ. So just as Elisha was given a double portion of Elijah's spirit at the Jordan River, if you remember when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, who was the New Testament version of Elijah, in that moment, Jesus, the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus like a dove, right? You remember that? So this is a pointer that the story of Elisha pointing us to Christ. Elisha in his ministry, one of one of the miracles that he worked is that he raised a widow's son from the dead. And Jesus also raised the son of a widow in the city of Nain in Luke chapter seven. Elisha took a little bit of food and he multiplied that food and was able to feed hundreds of men. Do you remember that Jesus was uh, he, he took The five loaves and two fish from a little boy multiplied that food and fed thousands of men and their families. Uh, An incredible miracle and had 12 basketfuls left over. Right. Well, Elisha heals a leper named Naaman. And it's a miracle of a miraculous healing. This this guy's from the enemy's camp and. Elisha is part of his healing. Well, Jesus was known to have healed many lepers, including 10 at one time in the New Testament. Elisha died. His ministry finally came to an end. He died and was buried. And this is one of the most amazing stories in Scripture, even though it's only given a couple of verses. He died and was buried and placed in a tomb. And sometime later, uh, there was a funeral going on in that area and some troublemakers came through that region. They took the the body of the dead man who was about to be buried and they threw his body in Elisha's tomb and the body rolled over and touched Elisha's bones. And you know what happened? The man was revived and stood up on his feet just from touching the dead bones of Elisha. Isn't that amazing? What we see here is that uh, Elisha's death actually brought life to a dead man. And in the same, even greater way, the tomb of the Lord Jesus isn't a place of death, but of life. It's actually through Jesus's death and resurrection that all who are dead in their sin, when they cast themselves on Christ, are made alive. Isn't that amazing? So all of Elisha's story is painting, it's pointing us to Christ. He's a shadow of a greater prophet, Jesus. So in these ways and many others, Elisha points us to Christ. Uh, He was a prophet that spoke on behalf of God, did mighty, mighty works in the name of God. And Jesus is the ultimate prophet of God who not only spoke God's word perfectly because he is God, but he did miraculous works in the power of God and with the authority of God. He not only heals deadly diseases but brings spiritual life to all who are dead in sin. Jesus is the true and better Elisha. 
And today what I want us to do is to really zoom in on one story that we just mentioned uh, on the account of the Syrian leper. His name is Naaman. And what I want us to see here is that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Amen. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. He heals and he changes hearts. Um, so let's uh, let's dig into the scripture this morning. Would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word as we read from Second Kings chapter five? Second Kings chapter five, and we'll read the first 19 verses together. This is the word of the Lord. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel and the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God? To kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses his chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored. You shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and Wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and stood before him and he said, behold, 
I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, And I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, go in peace. Let's pray. Our Father, every one of us is stricken with the leprosy of sin. There are only sinners here. No matter our position or our possessions, we all need the heart healing that only Jesus can do. Nothing is too hard for you, Lord. No sin too great. There is no sinner beyond the reach of the power of your mercy and your grace. Lord, humble us today. Heal us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I love this story of Naaman the leper being healed by our God. Isn't it a great, it's a powerful, powerful story. Um, believe it or not, Jesus actually mentions this story in his very first sermon in Luke chapter 4 as he's preaching to uh, loads of religious elite people. He, uh, he points out the fact that Um, In Elisha's day, there were many lepers in Israel, but the only leper that Elisha healed was a Syrian who came from afar, an outsider and actually an enemy, a commander of the enemy's army. And Jesus says the only leper that was healed by Elisha wasn't among the people of Israel, but an outsider. Well, that didn't go over so well uh, with his with his uh, congregation. Uh, They actually, when he finished his sermon, they took him to the edge of a cliff and tried to throw him over. So I'm I'm hoping the sermon goes better than that today. Um, So one thing we know is that it's not that Naaman was the only one who was sick. Jesus actually said there were lots of other lepers. It's just he's the only one who actually sought healing from the Lord. Leprosy is a vicious sickness. Can start small, be no big deal for a little while, maybe just one spot or two spots, you know, just no big deal for a little while. But then it begins to spread and the skin sores become highly contagious. They begin to spread across the body and to anyone else who comes into contact with a leper. What's happening with leprosy is actually the body is killing itself. And what will happen to a leper if he's not healed is his fingers and toes begin to just rot off. His nose, his ears, they just are eaten away by this disease that's within him. 
person uh, with leprosy will develop an odor, strong stench of rot because his skin is rotting. Become a social outcast, as you could imagine, isolated from all aspects of society, lose their employment uh, as they can't be around anyone else. They are uh, in Israel anyway, as they come into a crowd there to shout out unclean, unclean. It's like wearing a big scarlet letter, if you will, to announce your um, filth. But leprosy in the Bible is akin to the problem of sin. It is a a visual representation, an outward picture of the kind of death that sin is working within each of us. In fact, in Leviticus 13, where God deals with leprosy specifically and outlines sort of what you're to do, he's giving sort of the societal rules. How do you handle someone with leprosy? Well, in Leviticus 13, Uh, The Lord says that leprosy is deeper than just your skin in verse three. In in verse seven of Leviticus 13, it's the Bible says the Lord says it's highly contagious and it will spread. It's a it's a warning that sin is not confined or that leprosy won't be confined to that one person. It's highly contagious. In, In verse 45 He talks about how it defiles a person. It makes a person unclean. In verse 46, how that person needs to be isolated to protect the rest of the community. And then ultimately in verses 52 and 57, it talks about how leprosy can only truly be destroyed by fire. Only by fire. So if your clothing is contaminated and it's not able to be washed... Uh, to be cleansed, then that clothing must be burned. And if a person dies with leprosy, then their body must be cremated. That sin can only, or leprosy can only be dealt with ultimately by fire. And these things are parallels. They really are parallels, shadows, if you will, of a greater sickness. Sin. One that doesn't just infect a select few people that we can quarantine and isolate and keep them away from us healthy people. No, uh, the problem with sin is that we all have it. Every one of us. I want you to listen for a minute at the beginning of this chapter to how Naaman is introduced. He is the commander of the army of the king of Syria. What a prestigious title, right? The commander of the army of the king of Syria, right? He's a great man, the Bible says. He's favored and revered. So he's well-respected, loved by the people. The Bible says he's actually the reason, like God used him to give them victory over their enemies. So he's the reason for military victory. He's a mighty man of valor. This is how we're introduced to him. It seems like Naaman is a superstar, kind of a a red carpet type character. Everybody be taking his picture and he's posing. I imagine he's, you know, in my mind, I'm seeing like Conan the Barbarian type of muscles, you know, like this is this is he's a mighty man of valor. He's second in command to the king. He's a warrior. He's successful. He's wealthy. He's powerful. He's well liked. And then there's this one little three letter word, but it's like all those accolades hit a screeching halt with that word. But and then we get a very short statement. He was a leper. 
You notice how that's worded. You notice it doesn't say this great man had a little issue with leprosy. No, there are no little issues with leprosy. If you have it, it has you. All his accolades, everything praiseworthy about him stops. And we see that his identity is wrapped up in this sentence. He was a leper. Four short short words. It doesn't say he had leprosy. He was a leper. As it is for all of us, right? Um, I find it's not a very popular thing to tell people you are a sinner. People don't like that, right? We don't like to hear that. We don't like to say that. You are a sinner. We do not have a little sin problem. We are not good people who have a small issue with sin. We are sinners. Do you see the correlation, the parallel that I think the scriptures are wanting us to see? I hope we see that. I want you to notice one other thing before we dig into sort of the teaching outline. I want you to see how incredible uh, the sovereignty of God is in this whole scenario. Um, Naaman and his soldiers in a recent raid, military raid, had taken captive a little girl. And that little girl somehow had been placed into Naaman's house as the servant of Naaman's wife. And that little girl from Israel was noticing and seeing things that maybe Naaman was able to keep concealed under his armor. As a soldier, he was able to wear uh, armor and clothing. Maybe he just had spots on his arms. I'm not sure. But in his home, those things came off and his leprosy was exposed. And maybe he was washing and scrubbing and cleaning and And using everything, all the herbs, all the stuff he could get, spending loads of money with doctors and trying to do all that he could to fix his problem at home. And this servant girl that they had kidnapped from Israel is seeing all of it. She had been taken from her home, from her family, but she could not be taken from her God. And she had compassion on Naaman. For his leprosy. Isn't that amazing? This little girl who was kidnapped. Made to be a slave. In the house of a soldier. In the enemy's camp. Was compassionate. For him as he had leprosy. She was courageous also. Enough to speak to her master's wife. About this problem. She says if you could just get him to the prophet Elisha. In Samaria. He would cure him. That took some real Compassion and incredible courage from a child. And it's amazing to me the sovereignty of God to work in this whole situation that she even cared enough for him to even be healed. Like you would think she would be like, I hope he dies. But she says, I I wish the master would go see the prophet in Israel. He could cure him. Her testimony must have been convincing. 
Don't ever underestimate the power of your witness. In this story, we have the words of a little slave girl that have made their way to the ears of the king in Syria. Her testimony, if you just go, there's a prophet in Israel. He can cure you. Those words were compelling and convincing enough. Naaman was desperate enough that he goes to the king. He tells what he's heard and the king gives him his, his uh, blessing and sends him with a letter and camel loads of gold and silver and clothing and all kinds of stuff. And he, uh, Naaman goes all the way to Israel, presents himself to the king of Israel with the letter. And I think we have to ask, you know, why does he go to the king? The girl said nothing about the king. She said nothing about taking loads of money. She didn't say anything about any of that. She said, go see the prophet who's in Samaria. But he went to the king probably because the, they assumed, the Syrians assumed that Jewish prophets are under the rule of their king, like Syrian prophets are. If the, if the king of Syria told a, a prophet, you need to say this or you need to do this, then that prophet of a false god would have to do it. So they assume, you know, that the prophet Elisha was under the rule of the king in Israel. Well, they assumed wrongly. So he comes to the king, presents all that he has, and they read this letter. And how does the king respond? Does the king of Israel respond and say, ha, this is great. We have an opportunity to do something great here. No. How did the king respond? What does he do? He tears his clothing. Why would he do that? What, what does that symbolize in Jewish history? Do we know? What does it symbolize when the man rips his garments? What does it mean? Grief? Anger? Here's what this king knows. This foreign enemy king has sent his prime soldier and has sent a letter that says, Hey, we're giving you lots of money and stuff. We need you to heal him of his leprosy. And the king knows he cannot do it. He's totally unable. Not only is he unable, but his false gods. Because in Israel at this time, they're still worshiping false gods. And this king, his name is Joram. He, he doesn't worship the one true God. And he knows he can't do it and his God can't do it. And so he tears his clothes and he thinks the, the king of Syria is trying to start a quarrel. He wants a fight. This could escalate quickly. I can't fix this guy's problem. I can't heal him. I'm not able. Well, this brings us to our first big truth from the text. So if you're taking notes, here's the first big truth I want us to see today. There are no human heroes. There are no human heroes. Naaman went to the king. Not the man of God. So he went to the wrong place. He went with the wrong price. He went to the wrong person. This king of Israel, even though he wasn't a good king, at least he knew his limitations. He knew this is a problem I cannot fix. He cannot heal this man's sores. He cannot rid him of his stench. He cannot help. He is not going to be the hero in this story. So he tears his robe. He actually says this. Am I God 
So he knew he could not do it, but he did know there was one who could. And about that time, Elisha says, why have you torn your robes? Like, why are you grieving? That, believe it or not, is a rebuke. Elisha is subtly saying, if you worshipped the one true God, you wouldn't be tearing your clothes. You would know he can do this. Elisha says, send him to me that he may know there's a prophet in Israel. Now, we, we need to note also, Elisha could not do this on his own. There's no human heroes. Elisha doesn't say, send him to me so that he knows there's a healer in Israel. He doesn't say that. He says, send him here. I'm a, I'm a preacher. <laughs> no, that cracks me up, honestly. Um, a prophet speaks the words of God. He, empowered with, with the power of God. Sometimes he does the works of God. But the truth is, he might have access to God's power, but he doesn't have ownership over it. He's not able to just do what he wants. It isn't his power. A prophet is a preacher with a message. So he's not saying, send him here, I'll fix it. No, there's no human heroes. He's actually saying, send him here, I know the one. I know the one, I worship the one, and I believe my God will handle this. Remember Elijah's battle on Mount Carmel? After all the hoopla with the, with the prophets of Baal, and they, they had bled out, I guess, and they were exhausted. <laughs> Elijah just gets on his knees and he says, God, would you just show this people that you alone are God and that I am just your servant. I'm just doing your bidding. It's the same story here with Elisha. Elisha is claiming no power. He's claiming no ability to heal a leper. He just knows the one who can. And he's saying, I am your servant, Lord. Naaman would not find a man with the power to heal him because there's not a man who can do it. But in Elisha, he would hear a message from the one who is able to heal. He's more than able. Remember Ephesians 3? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly more. And we could ask or imagine. So Naaman wanted a miracle worker, but he got a preacher instead. <laughs> That's the part that cracks me up. Um, mm. Once again, people sometimes come to me thinking I have some kind of something and I just don't. I'm like one of you. All I know to do is pray and ask God to do what we cannot do. So I'm sure as he came to find a miracle worker and instead found a preacher, he was a bit disappointed, <laughs> as you might be. But when Naaman got to Elisha's house, Elisha didn't even come out to greet him. Did you notice that? Now, Naaman comes with his chariots, his horses, his, his whole entourage of power and prestige. And he shows up at Elisha's front door and you go, Naaman's here, right? And Elisha doesn't get off the couch. He's like, hey, somebody go tell him to wash in that water down there. He doesn't even leave his house. This is amazing. This is not an accident in the story. This detail is significant. It's important. And here's the reason why Elisha 
did not want any credit for what God alone would do. There are no human heroes. Elisha knew it. He knew I'm not able. If I show my face, Naaman is going to think I actually have something to do with this. I don't have anything to do with this. If he just obeys the word of God, I can give him the word of God. If he'll just listen, believe and obey God's word, God will heal him. But Naaman takes it as a slap in the face, doesn't he? He's offended. He's angry. And that brings us to the second truth that I want us to see. There are no human heroes. And secondly, only the humble are helped. Only the humble are helped. Do you believe that? I mean, do you truly believe that when it comes to God, all you need is need? When you're coming to God, you have nothing to offer him. What are you what are you going to do? You're going to pay him something. The God who owns it all, who made it all, who created it all, who can take it anytime he wants it. You're going to buy his goodness. No, you think you're somebody you're coming to God. He has no expectation of you. You will not impress him. If you've come to God to have your ego stroked, you're in the wrong place. Only the humble will be helped. Naaman came as a valiant general, a commander. Who just so happened to have a little issue with leprosy. But Elisha, the man of God, treated him as a leper who just so happened to be a commander. It's a drastic and significant Difference. Many people today come to God so proud of who they are, thinking they have something great to offer him. Yeah, they might have a little sin issue, right? No, you don't get it. Sin is who you are. It's death is eating away at your soul like leprosy. Jesus did not die on the cross because you're such a good guy with a little sin issue. He died to give life to broken, dead sinners. Jesus said he didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. And when he said that, he wasn't saying there are some who are healthy. And then over here, there are some who are sick. What he's saying is there are some who are sick, but will not admit it. And I've come to help the humble. I wonder if that's you. I wonder if the only thing keeping you from the great physician is you. Naaman put a lot of stock in his position, his power, his prestige, his possessions, Listen, these things, they're phony identity markers. They make you think you're somebody. None of them are what make a man. Naaman thought a lot of himself. He just had this one small issue, he thought, you know, it's just, just a little problem, but I need to have it fixed. I haven't been able to fix it. Elisha didn't honor his position. Or his power. Didn't care anything about his possessions. 
Elisha didn't even get off the couch, remember? And that wasn't to insult him or be rude. It was to help Naaman see the barriers to his own heart. And God was removing the pride barriers that were going to keep Naaman from the deepest healing he really needed. So Elisha sends out his servant, Elisha's servant. Can you just imagine Naaman outside the prophet's house? He's waiting, completely dumbfounded that this measly little servant that, you know, this little guy comes. Hey, um, so Elisha says that if you'll go to the Jordan and I think he said dip seven times, you know, I can just see Naaman like. What is happening here? I mean, he'd ridden up on his chariot. He, he's got all his people with him. He's loads of money on his mules. And this guy's accustomed to having his entrance announced. You know, he's accustomed to being greeted with a bow and a kiss. And instead, Elisha doesn't even show him his face. Naaman needed to get off his high horse and be humbled. Naaman was thinking, possibly, don't you know who I am? And the Lord, through Elisha, was replying, oh, that's not the problem. I know who you are. Actually, you don't know who I am. And because you don't know who I am, you actually don't know who you are either. Now listen, until you know who God is, you don't really know who you are. So Elisha gives a solution to Naaman. Not only did Elisha send his servant instead of himself, but his solution is humbling as well, right? I mean, his the, the, the plan, the, the plan for healing seems ridiculous to Naaman. I mean, he wanted a showy display. You know, he even tells us a little bit. I thought he surely he would come out and like wave his hands, abracadabra, hocus pocus, you know. And I, surely there was going to be something great to happen. No, this little servant boy, what is that? He's mad. And then the plan is to go and take a bath a few times in the murky Jordan River. Like that's muddy, nasty water. Naaman's... Pride is really what's surfacing here. It's his pride. He throws up his hands in a rage. He storms away. I didn't come all this way for that. I'm important. Don't you know it? And again, it's Naaman's servants that talk him off the cliff. Now they knew that if Elisha had said, okay, Naaman, here's what you do. You have to climb to the top of Mount Everest. There you'll see a nest with eagles. You need to pluck all the white feathers from the baby eaglet. You bring those white feathers back. You rub them clockwise over your sores. Then you will be healed. That's what he wanted. He wanted something crazy and awesome or something great to, to really stir a story. You know, he'd go back home to Syria. You'll never believe what I did. I climbed to the highest mountains. That's what he wanted. Elisha sends out his little measly messenger and says, you need to go down to the muddy water down there, dip, dip in it a few times, seven times. And when you come out, 
God will heal you. And listen, this plan, this solution provokes his pride. Because Naaman wanted a method of healing that would make much of him. But that's not how God works. Only the humble are healed. There can be only one God and it won't be you. You will not heal yourself. You will come to God needy or you won't come at all. So the idea of nasty, murky water of the Jordan, then it, that becomes a problem. So he objects again. He says, well, you know, there's the Abana, the Farpar. These rivers in Damascus are beautiful. I mean, if I'm just supposed to take a bath in some water, like surely we can go there. Those are those are great waters. No, 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 no. If the healing was in the water, then this logic makes sense. The better the water, the better the healing, right? That's not the point. Healing isn't in the water. It's in the humble obedience of real faith. Real faith. Faith that that does not obey is not faith. So Naaman was finally brought low. He didn't meet the great prophet. He wasn't asked to do the impossible. He wasn't shown any great signs. He wasn't asked to dip in the nicest waters. He was told to humble himself, quietly go down to the River Jordan, submit to a simple solution that makes no sense at all unless God is in it. So it took faith to dip himself three times and come up and check. Stores are are still there. Four times, right? Five times. Every time. This is this is this is not working. Six times. Each time checking, but no change. He could have thrown up his hands again. You know, this is ridiculous. But on the seventh time. His skin was healed, just as God said. Isn't it amazing? Our God keeps his promises. That leprous skin now smooth as a baby's butt. That's what the Bible said. I don't know if your translation says that. It was a miracle, right? I mean, God worked a miracle. It wasn't because of his great effort. It wasn't because of Elisha's great skill as a healer. No, it wasn't because of the beauty of the Jordan River. Not a chance. It was because of the grace of God alone. Now listen, if you haven't caught it, this is telling you about Jesus. If you need healing, and you do, because you are a sinner, you come to Christ on His terms, His way, with humble, lowly faith to trust one of the most ridiculous plans of all time. That your hope, all of your hope to be forgiven of your sin rests on a man who died thousands of years ago, rose from the dead. You're to look back and go, what in the world? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Except that God is in it. God says this is the only way you can have hope. Is if you say, I am a sinner and you come to Christ humble in your need for healing. And you trust the only solution that God has provided, which is 
the death and resurrection of his only son, Jesus. You come to Jesus like that. Smooth as a baby's butt. Healed from all your iniquity. Made whole. The Bible says it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Okay, third big truth. And here it is. Jesus heals the heart. Not only was Naaman's leprosy healed, right? Not only was his leprosy healed, but something else had changed. He comes all the way back to Elisha. And he comes with a message that he has experienced the power of God. And he comes back to say, um, well, what does he say? Let's look at it. I know. Verse 15. Behold. (laughs) Naaman's a preacher now. Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. There is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Mm. This God cannot be controlled. He cannot be bought. He is not impressed, but he is good. He is powerful and he is kind. And Naaman had experienced his goodness, his power to heal and his kindness to heal an outsider from the enemy's camp. And Naaman comes back not just with his skin made whole, but his heart has been changed and he wants nothing to do with the idols he's grown up with and lives with currently in Syria. He wants nothing to do with them. He says, now I know there's only one God in all the earth. This is a heart change. Something's happened in here. He's filled with gratitude, so much gratitude that all the money and all the stuff he wanted to give to the king of Israel to pay for his healing, to bribe his way into healing. He's not interested in a bribe anymore. He's just filled with gratitude. Let me give it to you as a present. I've already got what I came for and more. Let me just give back to you. But Elisha says, oh, no, 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 we can't we can't take that because even now you need to feel the full weight of the grace of God. I don't even want your gratitude to rob you of knowing that God alone has done this. You're not going to go back to Syria and say, look at my look, I'm, I'm healed and it only costs me blah, blah, blah. Elisha says, no, 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 you take all of that back with you. You go back made whole and you know it's only by the grace of God. You didn't deserve it. You couldn't earn it. Couldn't pay for it. Couldn't even gift us for it. It's all by the grace of God through faith in the true prophet. Then Naaman, it's funny, he went from offering gifts to asking for one. It's really interesting request. He says, well, please give me two loads of dirt. (laughs) Load down these mules over here with some of your earth. It's an interesting request. Um, What's behind that? Well, what's behind that is his heart to move away from idolatry. And he says, I want to... Worship and sacrifice to the God of Israel 
The God who promises and keeps his promises. The God who promised this land. This is the promised land to this promised people. That promised land. I want to take some of it home with me. I want to know. I want to, I want to be reminded every time I come to worship and offer a sacrifice to this true God. That he's a God who keeps his promises. So he takes some of Israel's earth back with him to Syria. Imagine. Uh, there's an author who writes a little short story about this. And I found it compelling. I imagine he went back home and pulled the little servant slave girl in and said, hey, I couldn't take you home, but I brought your home to you. You brought me to your God and I'm bringing your homeland to you. We will worship the one true God together. So Jesus heals the heart. Now, he even thinks through the complications of what it's going to be like to return to his job. He's thinking through, you know, when I he's like, Elisha, I know when I go back, I'm, I'm still the commander of the king's army. He's going to take me by the arm. We're going to go in the temple of Ramon and worship false idols. And I don't know. What, I'm not sure what I need to do about that just yet. Could, could, could you please pardon me? I don't want to do anything to upset the one true God who's healed me. These are conflicts we all live with, right? How do we live In light of the one true God in a world filled with idolatry and the heart of Naaman is in the right place here. And so Elisha says, go in peace. It's a good word. I wonder for you, have you come to Jesus like Naaman? Have you been humbled to see yourself for who you really are? You know, are you a really good person who just thinks you have a small sin issue? And if that's the case. There's some work yet to be done for you to see the truth of who you really are. All of us, without exception, are sinners before a holy God. Every one of us. It's not just that we have had a a small problem with sin. It is that it is who we are apart from Christ. It's who you are. But he was a leper, right? Right? And the truth about you is no matter the accolades, no matter what you've accomplished, unless you know Christ, the sentence is this, but she was a sinner. But she is, but he is a sinner. And the invitation to you today is the same as it was for Naaman, is to to come to the one true God who heals. He's a God who heals, amen? Amen. And I'm not just talking about healing the, the, the problems you think you have. I'm talking about healing the deepest need that you really have. As Pedro alluded to a moment ago, we care as a church. We care about all suffering, all suffering and injustice. We care about it as God's people. But ultimately, we care about the ultimate suffering. We don't want anyone to suffer forever as sinners in hell separated from God. But the only hope for us sinners is to put all of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of your hope that he gave his life. For you. And that in him you can find true healing. That's the offer for you and me today. Will we come to Christ? Will we humble ourselves and come to the one who can save us? Let's pray.